Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoterra Nerd Podcast, Episode 30, in which I interview my old friend Mark Williams. But first, the real Rosencruz. <laughs> when I first started this segment, I had only in mind an anime called Trinity Blood, and I wrote in katakana the name of the anime so that uh, Japanese fans of the anime would find their way to the episode in which I started explaining what the Rosicrucian Order really was. One layer beneath that, the absurd emphasis on real, simultaneously was implying that the Rosencruz Orden, as presented in the anime with the vampires and whatnot, uh, is a real thing, and I'm telling you about it. Uh, but, of course, I'm telling you about the actual real Rosencruz Orden, which announced its existence to the world in the 16th century. And now, uh, as of a couple of episodes ago, you might remember, there's a- another added layer of significance to this absurdity of the real Rosencruz Orden since Amork has begun sicking its well-paid lawyer on people uh, defending its exclusive right to the phrase Rosicrucian Order as if it were, you know, Mickey Mouse and they were Disney. Our brother, Christian Rosencruz, learned there better the Arabian tongue so that the year following, he translated the book M into good Latin, which he afterwards brought with him. This is the place where he did learn his physic, whereof the world hath just cause to rejoice if there were more love and less envy. After three years, he returned again with good consent, shipped himself over Sinus Arabicus into Egypt, where he remained not long, but only took better notice there of the plants and creatures. He sailed over the whole Mediterranean Sea for to come unto Fez, where the Arabians had directed him. And it is a great shame unto us that wise men so far remote the one from the other should not only be of one opinion, hating all contentious writings, but also be so willing and ready under the seal of secrecy to impart their secrets to others. Every year, the Arabians and Africans do send one to another, inquiring one of another out of their arts, if happily they had found out some better things, or if experience had weakened their reasons. Yearly, there came something to light, whereby the Mathematica, Physic, and Magic, for in those are they of Fez most skillful, were amended, as there is nowadays in Germany no want of learned men, magicians, cabalists, physicians, and philosophers, were there but more love and kindness among them, or that the most part of them would not keep their secrets close only to themselves. At Fez he did get acquaintance with those which are commonly called the elementary inhabitants, who revealed unto him many of their secrets, as we Germans likewise might gather together many things, if there were the like unity and desire of searching out of secrets amongst us. Our guest tonight is a very old friend of mine. I've known him since the early 90s. At one point, he and my mom almost dated. He has been a teacher of mine and a brother. 
So let's get to that interview, shall we? Greetings, Fratter. Welcome to the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? All right. All right. So, yeah, I'm going to be editing, uh, you know, the final product so we can kind of speak candidly. And then if there's anything that you want me to remove later or uh, if we if we mention Voldemort, I'll just beep it out because I don't want to give him any web traffic, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 right. Well, there's several Voldemorts we should bleep out anyway. <laughs> yeah. Top one on the list being Amork, it seems. I know, these days. Jeez. I mean, I it's that whole, I, I, see, I see a lot of familiar, unfortunately familiar patterns in the way that um, some of the people are, you know, some of the chatter about, you know, uh, how they're uh, interpreting the backlash and saying, oh, that's, I forget the name of the guy. Someone said, oh, you know, I bet so-and-so's in on that. And then I looked up, looked up the guy and it was a guy that was thrown out who used to be the head of Amwork in 1990. So they think that this whole anti-Amorc thing is uh, is an ex-member who's got an axe to grind. And, you know, it's like familiar stuff like, oh, well, that's just my ex-wife. You know, that's just... Well, uh, yeah, and uh, actually there's a significant, uh, well, not significant, there were a couple of orders out there that uh, that would uh, do similar things, and then when they had backlash, they'd say the same thing, that it was some disgruntled ex-member or, uh, yeah. or something of that nature. I think the fundamental problem with this is not a matter of who owns a name or or, um, or who has the rights to anything, because magic is not something that any one person has ownership of. Yeah, I think this is primarily a case of insecurity on the part of the leaders, and um, and well, get a little more basal and say it's a desire to make money off of something that really yeah. shouldn't be sold in the first place. Yeah, it really seems like they're treating the the phrase Rosicrucian Order the way that Disney treats Mickey Mouse. You know, like it's uh, right. it's their it's their cash cow. No one else gets to have this cash cow. If you want to use it, clearly it's because you want one in on this, you know, and, and it's all just advertising and, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's kind of sickening. Well, I'm kind of interested in how, I, I kind of wonder how much, uh, how much Mr. Lewis that founded Amort paid for all those mysteries and all those symbols that he drew. Cause you know, that was, that was one of his main uh, talents that he actually had was art and, um, and also as a radio personality, believe it or not. <laughs> He actually had a live broadcast from Rosicrucian Park back uh, back in the 30s before he before he died. Huh. Well, I'll have um, to check out some of that stuff one of these days once I stop being so pissed at them. <laughs> well, it's you know, it, actually, I just kind of feel sad for the for the whole situation, yeah. especially for the people that are going there to try to, try to uh, learn something because the real reason to do magic is not to um, not to score a bunch of money or to get control of your boss or get a great job or get a, a winning lottery ticket. I mean, if that's what you want to do, you can actually um, hire a practitioner to kind of put together a little bit of a, a spell or some mojo for you to do that. Yeah. And right there is where I kind of divide things. It's perfectly okay for somebody who is good at this sort of thing to advertise his services as long as he is providing an honest service for what he asks the money for. 
and uh, you know up front what you're buying. It's no different from buying a piece of software or something like that. Um, but that's not enlightenment. You are paying somebody to do a job, just like you pay somebody to come over and clean out your um, house or something. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, on the flip side, though, uh, the spiritual groups like Amork and things like that are really charging for something that should not be for sale. Right. Uh, people go into this not because they want to score big money or, or um, get control of somebody or or win back a lover or whatever all the dozens of reasons are people list on various websites about why they do this. Uh, they're really going there for some self-enlightenment, to kind of understand who they are, to have some community and people of like mind. Yeah. Uh, also to, uh, you know, they're really going for something that is fundamentally not for sale. These are universal mysteries and, and uh, they are available through a variety of different ways, um, through uh, Eastern traditions and Western. And uh, I understand you're kind of kind of molding together both Eastern and Western right. in some of your work that you're doing. Uh, and um, you know, other than uh, there is some, some quarter for people that want to charge, say, dues because you have to maintain rent of the temple space yeah. that everybody's needing that. Right, and really and that's at the core, I think, of what's motivating. Yeah, everybody splits the cost and, and they take care of business that way. Yeah. But to say that I have the mysteries, you know, I've scored the mysteries just like I've got a kilo of cocaine here. Right. And you have to pay me if you want any of it. And by the way, the more you get, the more you pay. Um, that is really kind of, to me, it's a total prostituting yeah. of the entire process. Yeah, it's um, the same thing Scientology is doing wrong, which is why I, yeah. always, I, always, I encourage people to learn the good stuff that there is to learn the useful stuff and, and compare it with other things, but stay away from the org. You know, stay away from that. And I, I'd right. probably recommend, if someone was saying, what do you think of Amwark? At this point, honestly, I'd probably say, hey, you know, download all their shit and, or buy it if you want. But, I mean, I... I I don't know. They could, I'd say boycott them. You know, I mean, honestly, from my well, heart. Well, it's basically buyer beware. I mean, everybody yeah. <laughs> has a choice of what they want to do. Yeah. But I yeah. think anybody. I would encourage uh, boycotting, but yeah. Oh well, yeah, and I and I don't disagree. But out of all fairness, for some people are just like you know, some people are determined to do whatever they're going to do. Yeah. And I recommend before anybody considers joining any group. Look up the various websites that give you the ten warning signs that you might be getting into a call. Right. Um, just to you know, just for your own safety and the safety of your family members and the safety of your wallet. Because yeah. one of the biggest things that all of these groups do that is the biggest red flag that anybody should look for is they demand exorbitant amounts of money or they tell you they'll spoon feed you some monographs for a monthly fee and um you know, you can just add, you can put it on your credit card or something. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this is just um, this is the kind of thing that just leads to uh, leads nowhere really. In yeah. the end, you end up spending a lot of money and still looking for something that you don't have. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the group that I'm currently affiliated with, I'm not really going to say much about them, but they're mm -hmm. a wonderful group of people. And um, they do an entire pathway of initiations and don't charge a single cent for any of it. Yeah. However, the other thing that's also a good point on this is they don't recruit. Right. A good order generally does not. Um, for the most part, 
uh, even the Masons don't do any recruiting. Um, if if you are wanting to be a part of a really good, solid um, secret society or mystery school, the general thing is you really need to know somebody who's already in there, and you need to talk to some people and find out if you're a mutual fit. Right. Anybody who goes out saying "come one, come all" and you know sticks flyers and books and yeah. everything else trying to break people in, uh, those are those are usually problem organizations because yeah. there's a reason why they're having to do that. Uh, <laughs> whether it's because they uh, whether it's because the leader has some um, expensive tastes or or maybe they they've incurred too many operating expenses and lost sight of what they're really doing as a group. Sometimes it's a combination of the two things. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe, there's always uh, a trade that's there's a loss and a gain. Like when 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 someone you know has their life together and they also have mysteries to share and they can do so in their own house, in their own spare time, and everybody's cool with it. It's like there's this magical thing that happens, but then that can somehow, if you don't pay attention and you let it get away from you, it can turn into, yeah, you're out hustling for members to pay for some freestanding location that might be the most beautiful you know, temple ever built in, uh, in that egregore, but, uh, you know, what did, what did it really cost? And, you know, what's, who's the vampire? I mean, sometimes it's, it's just the, the property taxes. They're, they're bleeding everybody dry. And then, you know, so you get to trade the experience of, of, of sitting in a throne in a really grand temple for the experience of not being able to pay for your kid's college, you know, and rough rough trade well and uh and when you get down to having to have a fancy location that costs a lot of money which um by the way that's what amork has over in san jose i've been there that's why the thing is so familiar yeah because it's really kind of a nice place but um but yeah i know i've seen pictures like yeah Gosh. Looks pretty expensive too. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, what you're really doing is trading um, is trading the mysteries for what you think they are. It becomes more of a question of your ego and self-aggrandizement when you know you start putting together flashy things that aren't really for the benefit of the rest of the members. They're really a cost. Right. Uh, you know, this isn't like the case where say. A bunch of people get together and they all chip in, you know, a few dollars a piece and they, you know, they really get into it and do some painting and do some wonderful stuff and and they put together something that everybody can afford and it's for the common good. Yeah. This is more like a few people would throw together a bunch of expensive stuff and, and say, charge well, everyone else for it. Simple, yeah. Uh, now you're going to pay for it. And you, yeah, uh, use biblical it. and and use the same pack tactics that the big churches are in trouble for. What was that? That seating. That the more money you give us, the, the bread of shame. That if you give us money, then uh, then you don't have to feel guilty for being in such a wonderful temple. Like it's just some weird carryover from oh, yeah, the yeah. dark side yeah. of the age of Pisces trying to oh, yeah, shine through with the Aquarius. Yeah, you know, there's there's actually one preacher over here in Atlanta that um, told his congregation that God told him that he had to get about three and a half million dollars out of all of them so he could buy himself a brand new Gulfstream jet because uh, uh, I guess uh, God said he needed this Gulfstream jet so he could fly around the world with his family and spread the gospel. Yeah, um, yeah, so and you have that's people. That's really nice. You have the people. plane they already bought him. 
the plane they already bought him was in bad disrepair and almost crashed a couple times. So he said God he said it was time for him to get a new one. So wow. you know how those things go. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, I think that um, one of the things I've been thinking about all day is just what uh, about this interview actually? Is, oh yeah. What can we do that is a greater greater help to the Golden Dawn community and to the mystical community as a whole? I mean. That's you know one of my primary interests of spending some time talking today, and obviously yeah. I think some of the things we just discussed uh, do help the community out a little bit. So well, what to look out for, if nothing else. Um, one thing that I would want to point out, I think, is um, that there was a time when the Council of Nicaea was coming together, and Constantine mm-hmm. sent the word out to all the the you know the most popular charismatic. Uh, you know, church leaders and said, you're archbishops now, uh, everybody come to the emperor's house and we'll figure out how to establish the Catholic church. And meanwhile, there were some people off to the sides that are like, well, yeah, but I kind of have a different point of view. And by the way, you don't have all the gospels. This one over here, this is the only copy. And, you know, we know, you and I know, but I mean, maybe not all the listeners know that's kind of what was going on. And um, so from one point of view, from the Orthodox Christian point of view, um, there were out people out there saying Jesus was just a man, and there were people out there saying he was a hallucination, and there were people out there saying he was God, and there were people out there saying this and that. So they wanted to codify what is the real message. And so by bringing all these people together and the Holy Spirit moved through them, they found out the real message was, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, you know, the Nicene Creed. And um, meanwhile, everyone that fell maybe slightly outside of that uh, was considered a Gnostic heretic and were killed. So, I mean, one, thank God this is just Amork and uh, a bunch of silly people who happen to either have self-initiated or been initiated into the seventh grade of something that most you know, people think doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and two, um, like these days, you have people who self-identify as Gnostic Christians and you have people who identify as Catholic Christians. And occasionally you can get two of them in a room together to uh, have a a pleasant conversation and maybe even an intelligent conversation. And if they're both Masons, for instance, or they're both initiates in a Golden Dawn order, then you can really have some interesting exchanges and points of view that would not have taken place necessarily on 325 AD, the day that they announced that there were Gnostic heretics now. Um, So I guess what I would want to point out is that when it comes to Amork, Right now, I feel like the Gnostic heretic that has just been told by Constantine that he's a Gnostic heretic, and uh, legally. And and in this case, Constantine's just holding up a stupid, you know, copyright and saying, yeah, yeah, nobody's contested it, so therefore, you know, whatever bullshit they're saying. However, in the grand scheme of things, transcending the whole picture, I acknowledge that in 500 years or less, uh, the people within Amwark and the the administration that is now babies, or maybe they're not even born yet, that will take over Amwork, will be working in harmony with the rest of us, and maybe they'll still have and enforce that copyright, but we'll all be able to get along as brothers in light, and maybe even share information across the borders, and maybe they'll start using some of our methods, and we'll start using some of theirs, who knows. Um, so I guess that's all I want to say. I w- would want to clarify that it's not let's let's make Amwork the bad guys and try to wipe them off the map. It's just that today they've become Constantinian Rosicrucianity, and uh, well, actually it was October 27th. Um, 
but I mean, they always, I, I don't know the whole, people, people keep saying, well, read the history about how, you know, Crowley and, and this guy Spencer that honestly, I've never even known his name until a few days ago, the guy that started Amwork. Um, and, uh, and Mathers and this whole court case where Mathers was claiming to be the head of the Rosicrucian order. So it sounds very interesting. It might be a fun play to enact. In some sense, I think you're giving Amwork a little bit too much credit in this particular thing, because what they're really concerned about uh, you know, there's two um, two relatively well-known orders out there that possess trademarks, so I'll, I'll kind of illustrate it this way. One of them possesses a trademark for the purpose of protecting it for the benefit of the whole community. Um, some people probably know who that is, and um, uh, they basically, their whole reason to get the trademark in the first place was to prevent somebody from doing just what Amork is doing right. and saying, hey, uh, Golden Dawn is now trademarked and you're going to have to buy licenses from me. Um, they basically said, nope, we trademarked it so that we could tell everybody that they can have free access to it. Right. Uh, you don't have to follow our specific things. If you want to go start a temple, just go start one up. and Everything's cool. And I am a total advocate of that idea, and I understand why they got the trademark, especially with some of the other trademark wars that went on around the first part of uh, this century um, and, and fighting over that one. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Amork, on the other hand, uh, is really – in a case where they're concerned about selling their brand. They're yeah. more like Coca-Cola than the Nicene Convention. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, I guess my point uh, is the Nicene Convention was more like Coca-Cola than it was like anything like Christianity. Well, the problem with the Nicene Convention is there were more Paulines there than there were Gnostics. Um, you know, people more, you know, I think probably St. Thomas would have been more towards the Gnostic side of yeah. things. Um uh, yeah, the, the Indian wasn't represented. Yeah, yeah. Paul, the Paulines, you know, the, the the people that followed the Apostle Paul, kind of tended to be where he was. They were a little bit uh, patriarchal, actually downright misogynistic. Right. And um, and they they just had an idea of my way or the highway, and um, pretty much that has been how it has how it's gone through the centuries since then. And the Nag Hammadi and all of that kind of stuff was hidden away so that these guys couldn't burn it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because some of the, the hardcore um, the religious and political views out today are kind of doing the same thing. If anything doesn't agree with us, let's just destroy it because yeah. we're insecure and and uh, and we're kind of concerned somebody might find us out. So. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the entire story, but I think one of the things that happened with Paul uh, was at some point he had an illegitimate child with a woman before he got his grand conversion or something, and and that kind of messed his life up a little bit, and so he decided all women were evil, and now consequently we have everything from Adam and Eve, where Eve takes the brunt of screwing everything up on up to the way women are treated all the way through uh, uh, basic mainstream Christianity these days. Yeah. Um, and I think if the Gnostics had had a bigger presence at that conference and been able to put the Paulines more in their place, we would have a very different world right now. I think there was a little uh, bit of some covert um, 
you know, action from the uh, the rites of ISIS and some of the cults that ended up becoming uh, part of the Christian church where they brought in a lot of that uh, sort of ritualized uh, goddess. Well, the whole Mary tradition grew out of that. Yeah. Grew out of the... Uh, so that was like not uh, Paul. That was off to the side. It was a different... I, that's that's well, the, was, what I consider the good part, is the, that pagan. Well, it was... Uh, and it was it was absorbed by the church because that was convenient. It was yeah. a way to win people over. Right. Um, and also there's, there's an interesting take on... Um, on uh, how this whole thing started, uh, there's a movie you can actually—I think you can see it for free on YouTube—but it's like 99 cents on Amazon. It's called Caesar's Messiah, and I kind of recommend anybody take a take a view of that because it'll definitely give you an expanded view on uh, a lot of things about Christianity and and another possibility of what its origin was. Right. Uh, it kind of it it kind of works on the postulate that it originated out of Caesar uh, Caesar Flavius, um, mm. you know, because he wanted to create something that encompassed all of the religions of the world, gave all of them a piece of the pie, and um, and then would deify him so that he would be uh, basically worshipped through all the ages, even if the Roman Empire was gone. Now, I'm not saying this is necessarily a true theory, right. but it's an interesting one, and it does have, uh, you know, if it is true, he certainly succeeded. You know, he just made it. So he'd be like himself. Harvey Spencer Lewis in this case. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, Lewis, I think, uh, you know, Lewis was kind of a showman, like another occult leader, I think you and I know. Yeah. And um, so he like you know he knew how to put together a good show. He invented the color organ and um, and knew how to give speeches and knew how to do um, knew how to do great things. But um, but he's kind of uh, you know he he was kind of in it to make the money and to keep it going in his own right. Right. He uh, basically uh, had had a self interest just like a lot of other people. I mean, there's. There's there's two there, there's two people I know of in the community and you know for for whatever it's worth I'm not going to name names but it's easy to know who they are that operate on the same basis they want to make some money they want to uh, proclaim themselves as the grandest and greatest of all they want to be remembered and you know and uh, and they want to claim this whole egregore as their own yeah and. Um, Regardless of anything, when you start claiming an egregore based on external things like money and power and all of that, um, all of it has one thing in common. When you die, you're not taking it with you. Yeah. Not any of it. It all stays here. Yeah. Um, it, and so if you're really going to do any real progress in a spiritual path, yeah, that's a good the point. The interesting thing is you don't have anything to prove. Yeah. You know, the people who are really doing the work uh, aren't calling themselves 10 equals ones out there on Facebook. <laughs> and you know, and they're yeah. not out there complaining about everybody else, yeah. you know, about and getting into these little tussles with everybody about who has the oldest papers and who has the biggest wine and, you know, whatever. Basically, the, the people that really are doing what you're supposed to do with this are 
basically doing their own thing. Um, I mean, I had some wonderful ritual last night. I wrote about just a tiny bit of it in some very exclusive groups that aren't really public. And that's that. You know, I'm yeah. pleased with what happened. Um, the whole the whole results were great. My partner and I did some wonderful work together in the temple, and uh, and that was that was that. We got everything we needed. We didn't need applause from anybody else, and we weren't interested in it. In fact, telling everybody else would probably tarnish what it was. Right. Um, and the the whole reason that you should be public at all about this is to share with other people who are trying to get something yeah. out of their lives more than Super Bowl Sunday and uh, and the next empty vacation where they buy a bunch of stuff and come home broke and tired and want a vacation from the vacation. Yeah. You know, that seems to be the standard run of the mill human life. These are people that see something underneath everything. They see uh, vibrancy and color and, and things beyond things and understand that there is a reality of a whole plethora of beings and deities and things that exist out there and they're just waiting for us to communicate with them. Uh, the few people that actually see this and desire it, um, those are the ones that we reach out to as a public service, not for profit. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to make profits off magic, go do readings, do spells for people, do whatever. Maybe put a disclaimer on your website that it's for amusement only or something so nobody will come back and say, hey, your crap didn't work. Yeah. Uh, you know? And um, and just be honest about it and say, hey, man, I'm selling a service out there. But, um, but don't confuse that with the people, with helping people that are truly trying to find their way. Yeah. You know, that. Uh, effectively, when you are hoodwinking people, well, actually, we won't use that term, but when you are bamboozling people who are out there honestly trying to seek out a way of life that's better than the one they have, and you're effectively bleeding them dry until they have a spiritual death, I think that's worse than murder in some yeah. ways. Yeah, it's really bad karma. I mean, yep. from the point of view of yeah. someone who's trying to spiritually aspire, for example, from lifetime to lifetime, or whether someone's trying to spiritually aspire in one lifetime. Now, I think that part of it is that there's there's sort of a, a core, um, there's like a nihilism that comes with a kind of ultimate atheism, you know, like for, mm -hmm. for, for you know, someone that comes from a, uh, like maybe a Christian background who, um you know, maybe got into healing work and then someone died, you know, I mean, the, I, also considering the, these personality types from a more uh, compassionate and, you know, less critical point of view, you can kind of see where they're coming from and being kind of like, oh, well, fuck the world anyway, there's no God. If there was a God, then he would have saved so-and-so. I was standing there doing divine names all these years. What went wrong? So there's like kind of a, you know, then from there, it's like, well, I might as well just fuck everybody and take all their money. And um, and so it's really, really, you know, I mean, you can have sympathy at the same time for someone who's in such a dark place that they think that they want to just have everybody know their name for having been the most notorious shitbag in the occult community. Um, you know, but on the other hand, if you're actually taking a spiritual path seriously, then 
yeah, you would want to consider that getting involved in in some kind of bullshit politics and trademark war is actually maybe tarnishing your path, maybe actually uh, decelerating your uh, process of becoming more and more uh, sublime from lifetime to lifetime. And uh, yeah, like you said, that the ones that are really doing the work are the ones we're not hearing from. And yeah, I mean, and it, calls me, it causes me to call my own motivations into question. And especially because I'm throwing the F word around and judging people and stuff like that. I listen to my episodes too. And so, <laughs> so you know, so I, I mean, think I think it's interesting. I think it's entertaining. Yeah. But I don't think I'm any kind of, you know, uh, guru or yogi or, or, or anything like that. I've just kind of. But you are doing a service because you're presenting a point of view. And that's right. the thing people need. And that's what I'm offering. I'm offering yeah. a point of view. I mean, I am somebody who has managed to. Uh, in spite of some, in spite of a lot of challenges, and that probably some of them you're familiar with, um, because when we came from similar origins with this kind of stuff, yeah. um, I'm somebody who's managed to enjoy a reasonably decent, balanced, and magical life for about 25 years now. Yeah. And uh, you know, it works for me. And I, I, and, and uh, if I can share something to. Uh, to show other people that um, that it can do that, that you can actually do this and be a quote unquote normal person, um, then uh, then you know I kind of don't mind sharing that experience. And I remember when I first started in this back in 1993, there was no internet. Um, there was a few things like Gnosis magazine and a few books you could buy in the bookstore. Um, there was nothing like the plethora of online information you can get today where you can yeah. just get half the books you want just in PDF format and just download them and read them for free. And, you know, back in the days when I started, the nearest occult bookstore was probably an hour and a half away. And uh, they had a pretty limited selection of things. And about half of it was just crappy self-help books or something. Um, but... Uh, uh, what happens with what happened with that is that um, I didn't have those points of view. I didn't have the different facets, and that was both good and bad. From one uh, instance, I was able to do self-development based on myself and my own communication with um, the universe as I saw it. Yeah, uh, and that led to some other things, but at the same time that also led to a long drawn out experience with a less than stellar uh well the group was wonderful and the people in it were wonderful and yeah. I, I continue to have good relationships with them to this day but the leadership of that group took a big a lot of advantage of some really good people because none of us knew that there was anything else out there right and um and then when we eventually, when we started to find out there were other things out there, uh, it was very easy for this leader to say they're all false or they're wrong or, or, or they're doing something against us or, you know, typical cult-like mentality. And I think that by having a podcast and your blog and things like that and others that are doing the same thing, right? Uh, people are getting choices. They're yeah. getting a chance to go out and see what's really out there, to hear from experienced people who have really been involved with this for a while. And um, 
and they can learn a lot about what to go towards and what to avoid. And I, I wish I'd had that back in 1993. Yeah. That was an interesting double-edged sword because if I hadn't had that experience, I wouldn't know you and a lot of other people yeah. <laughs> that have really added something to my life. Yeah. But on the flip side, it took me, oh, man, from the time I left over there until probably recently, it took almost five years before I returned to full practice again because, you know, a bad experience with leadership can have you doubting yourself and everything that you learned and the validity of any of it. Um, and it takes a while to untangle that because the whole process of uh, initiation and magic is a pretty intimate one, uh, and it can get pretty deep into your psyche. So yeah. untangling all that can, if it goes wrong, can take quite a bit of effort. And the main reason it goes wrong is because of bad leadership and people that take advantage and uh, uh, you know the people who who would exploit this stuff for profit. You know. I, I, uh, I don't want to beat Amork into the ground, but, you know, I, I don't know how much. Uh, I know that they are openly, publicly exploiting this for profit right now, but I also, uh, the very fact that they say their ex-members are the cause of this whole blowback kind of makes me think they're maybe doing some other things that we're familiar with to their members as well. So, right. Um, but getting back into to practice again after an experience like that, it's not easy. I know some people that left um, the aforementioned group uh, that I know and still see on social media every day that are pretty much atheists now. They got so disillusioned with everything spiritual and just couldn't pull it out right. anymore. Or went completely so Eastern up. like I did for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, there's not a thing in the world wrong with that either. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody has an experience that they have. A and, journey. And I mean, in my case, I have uh, I managed to kind of stay with the Golden Dawn Current thanks yeah. to a, a, a totally awesome, awesome group that has some good books out there. And, and basically, uh, they have been nothing but supportive. I've been there for quite a while now, and I've never had one reason to feel like I didn't belong there. Um, yeah, getting and, back in uh, touch with you has really helped me because you you had more time to heal. You know, I mean, uh, having left a few years before, where I hung in there till the bitter, you know, and then uh, then then well, so I got in touch with you, and you were a lot more grounded with it, you know, and so it was good. Yeah, well, and and also a good group will leave you freedom to grow in your own direction. I mean, we've got people with Eastern interests and. Uh, my my wife and I are both uh, we both are hoodoo practitioners now, and we do a lot of work with uh, the the Orishas and the Loas and things. And and there's other people in our group that do this, and there's nobody standing around saying, "Oh, oh, that's not part of the dogma. You can't do that." You yeah. know, uh, which I know we've heard that one before. Right. What <laughs> um, actually I I discovered over time that the biggest problem that was uh, happened with the leader of that uh, of the other group that we were in was that he really had nothing to teach past five past the uh, five six yeah. situation yeah i mean that was the problem he so had, then to he had to bring in zenu like elron hubbard or in our case yeah pretty know, much but what he brought in was, he brought in catholicism because he kind of felt he could give us something to do for a few years with that because there is a whole 
a whole uh, you know bunch of mysteries and things in there. And in fact, there's a whole branch of hoodoo called Catholic Conjure that uses all the saints and things like that. And I think uh, you know when he couldn't keep us amused with that anymore, he went to the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I think about then, most everybody started to say, "This isn't what we really signed on for." Oh yeah, uh, you. <laughs> That must be like leading up to 2000. That was so. There was the first wave of Catholicism in '95, and then right, there was because right. it was very pagan and OTO friendly in '92, '93, and then there was that first yeah, when wave I started. Of, yeah. Then there was the wave of Catholicism. Then Seven Habits and a lot of other self-help kind of stuff. And then we started going into you know basically Napoleon Hill and New Age and self-help stuff and. I think he even coined a thing called Rosicrucian Reiki and uh, uh, a few other things. And, right. uh, you know, when I get to all of this, it's like, okay, how is this any different from Amork out there selling their wares? Yeah. It really isn't. You know, you still have a closed society where people have to act within certain boundaries, and if they want to stray off and do their own thing, they get kicked um, out. that's not so good. You know, you yeah. get thrown out. And uh, if you're not contributing or helping them make money, you get thrown out. Yeah. Um, and th that's what all of these trademark wars and everything really come down to. So um, I think if, you know, in summation, if I was going to give good advice to anybody, I would say get out there, get to the blogs of all the free thinkers like you and other people um, that just present things the way they see them without personal gain or profit. Right. And they're just genuinely out there interested in helping. I yeah. mean, um, open source. Know, uh, <laughs> right. You know, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn Incorporated, not the not the uh the AO one, but the other one, has a lot of links to a lot of different resources and stuff and and that's the main thing. They give out a lot of information for free and they're not interested in having you join up and they're not uh they're not. They're out there doing this in an unselfish manner, and I think if somebody's heart's really in it, um, then you're relatively safe pursuing that. Yeah. But if uh, if uh, if they're offering you uh, uh, the silver and gold keys for your silver and gold, then you got something to worry about. <laughs> I like when I I see these groups that are like open that are you know uh getting in touch with me and getting in touch with each other and you know there's this guy in denver that's been hanging out with icl's group and talking about doing um you know doing a joint thing between the two temples and you know i just i, I love when that kind of stuff is going on and th those guys are innovating um with uh doing shamanic like invocations of the spirits of plants through z formula you know, and just like, hey, why not? And then and then sharing about it, you know, and then and so we all can hear that and go, hey, that gives me an idea. And then then we share that. It, it reminds me of, uh, you know, in the 1600s when they first started making the scientific journals and all the, uh, the the people could keep up with the experiment that someone just did in France. Someone could duplicate the experiment in London or in, you know, wherever and and uh, and try it a different way and then publish their findings. And, you know, it's just it's progress. It's like the. And you find that a lot of things really, really interact with each other. Like a good many of the of the um, formulas and sachets and things that oils that we put together in the hoodoo tradition, all really just point straight to plant alchemy. You're working in the plant kingdom, 
and you're still using the whole sulfur, mercury, and salt principle. It's just a different way of doing it. Yeah. And um, and you're still evoking uh, this, you know, the shin of human spirit into uh, into it. When you bring a servitor to life or something like that, um, you know, I mean, basically we did some servitor work last night, which uh, which is kind of like the idea of an artificial elemental of steroids. <laughs> you basically, uh, you you create a you create a um, a poppet or something, you know. Some people like to call it voodoo doll, but it's not really, you know. It's so sort of like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, you know, I use the Enochian tablets and uh, my typical ceremonial tools, um, uh, you know, a lotus wand and a sword and everything else to empower this servitor to imbue him with elements and to uh, and to name him and send him on his way doing stuff. You know, we use the lotus wand to. Uh, to uh, give them elements, and um, generally, you know, but with them, you, you start the earth and their feet, and then uh, as you go up a little bit further towards the torso, that is water, and then the chest is air, and the head is fire, and then you cover the whole thing with spirit. And you do all that with the lotus wand, and then just use your sword when you're um, going to tell them what to do and send them on his way. So, um, you know, all of this fits perfectly. There's no problem at all. You know, yeah. some people are going to go out there, some purists are going to go up here and go, you know, you, you, you're, you're using ceremonial magic to do low magic. And, you know, right. okay, well, well if that's you were, your problem, if not you were, mine. If you were claiming <laughs> to be doing traditional Golden Dawn initiations and then they got there and that's what you were doing, then that would be false. But, yeah, well, you're that's doing a different thing. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And let's look at what an initiation actually is, what the whole purpose of the Golden Dawn is. It's not to specifically to do that. It is a school to get your mind in a place where you can learn enough about yourself and your relationship to the world around you and develop your own form of a mystical mindset, to develop your inner landscape. It is to teach you to go out and find your own way. Um, Basically, uh, you go through the Golden Dawn and go through that system of initiations, and then when you get into the second order, that's when you start finding out you can do some of these other things um, because you actually realize that you have the mind and the thought process for it and can actually connect and build these spiritual relationships. So fundamentally, the outer order is a school. That's really all it is. Um, there's not magic in there per se. It is a school to get you ready to do magic. And a good bit of the whole idea of Rosicrucianism is going out and finding your own way. Um, the whole idea of um, the meeting they do every year called Corpus Christi is everybody goes out and learns different aspects of magic, how to extrapolate on what they've already learned in the outer order and uh, they come back together and compare notes, and they come up with some new stuff. And that's what keeps that 22-petal rose alive and in color instead of something that's more abundant that somebody had to go write a book about it to keep it from being forgotten. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think if people have it in the proper perspective, you know, and golden non's not the only kind of initiation. I mean, right. if you feel like you have a valid way to initiate people and give them what they want, maybe if they're looking for traditional golden dawn, they may not stick around once you tell them what's up. And as long as you're honest with them, then you know you help them go find their own way. Um, and if they uh, 
if they're coming for your brand of initiation, whatever that is, then service them, take care of them, you know, help them find what they want. And, uh, and then they go keep the tradition alive too, because a lot of new traditions are started because people developed new initiations and new ways of doing things. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an important, important thing. Working with the traditional Golden Dawn system as we did and, 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 you know, as others do, I know that there's a few groups that say they're traditional Golden Dawn, but then they say, oh, but we got rid of Lord of the Universe. And it's like, yeah, you probably got rid of the vault too, but I'm not going to talk shit. Um, but traditional Golden Dawn eventually leads you to getting to this place where you've accomplished so much, but you have to you know, let go of that and, you know, and, and not feel prideful about having accomplished it. And then you become a Rosicrucian, but you're not allowed to say you're a Rosicrucian. And you find out all the mysteries and, you know, and, and, you know, and in humility, you accept this mantle of being a true Rosicrucian. And then you go through life and then some dumb fuck up in San Jose says, uh, you know, they're the only Rosicrucians. And it's like, wow, it's such a mind job. And it's interesting to to observe that it's 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 adepts in various go- traditional Golden Dawn orders that are the most upset by this, uh, by, by what Amwork's saying. And so you know I have to look at that also and say where where is this you know on on a certain level this is a reactive button, you know I have I have an, an an engram in Scientology terms. My basic basic was being locked in a box and whipped by you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, well you know. It's- it's like as as an adept, I could care less what they're doing with Rosicrucian name. I mean, yeah, you know, because it's where it gets me. That's where it kind of yeah. That's not a public thing in itself. You know, of course. Generally, uh, generally that is a personal thing that you don't just go walking around wearing like a badge. Well, they always did. But, yeah. Uh, but, what bothers me is they are depriving others of their right to exist as groups and yeah. to uh and in to that tradition. They're stifling them. that yeah, tradition. Yeah, they're trying to. And yeah. The whole point is they're not gonna really do it. Yeah. But um uh, I think that if anything they're having they're they're useful at this point in teaching. Uh they're 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 gonna help us learn about ourselves and what things mean to us. Right. Just like the last time we had big lawsuits and trademark wars and, uh, you know, yeah. people that put up $100,000 trying to fight these wars and stuff Jesus like that, uh, yeah. you know, the whole the whole community became better for it in the long run. In the end. And the ones, who, the ones who caused all the trouble are now pretty much in obscurity. I don't think either, either party... Uh, yeah, you and I both the, are in obscurity, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. Obscurity is not a bad place to be, but the two people that ended up in obscurity out the other end of this are people who don't want to be, and so, hey, that's their own living hell. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I just remember when you and I were out raising hell on the Internet. <laughs> yeah, well, keeping in obscurity there was a good thing, too. So, you know, but we were, we were younger. Yeah. <laughs> Pseudonyms, yes. Yeah. We were younger and thought we were fighting for the Empire of Light. And <sighs> eventually, I ended up apologizing to quite a few people. Me too. Think, hey, I you, know, you know, the guy in charge of that group had a lot of us doing things we wouldn't normally do. So, yeah. you know. 
that is a reason to that's a reason to beware of people who aggrandize themselves and ask for a lot of money and i think that's really what it comes down to i think what this really is a good way to sum up this uh, conversation interview is beware of um, any place that says that they've got the exclusive thing that aggrandizes themselves charges money and then tries to abuse the rest of the community because they think that there's some kind of financial competition. You know, yeah. Anytime you have that closed sense of us and them, that's a red flag. Yeah, and there's I don't not going to be much spiritual. Uh, I don't think Amork is doing themselves any favors by holding themselves out to be that kind of people. Because right. up to now, I think everybody just kind of said, hey, if that's what you like, go join them. But I think if I were out looking for a group and I saw all this flying around and then saw them accusing their former members of causing it and stuff, I would definitely be looking somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, because I would say, well, you know, what are they going to be saying about me one of these days? Exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> what are they going to make me do someday that I'm going to regret? So, yeah. You know, how bad, you know, which bankruptcy filing am I going to do for them? You know? <laughs> <laughs> You know, go out and get a diversified opinion of what's going on. Find out where you really belong. Don't go for any big self-aggrandizing promises. And if somebody wants a lot of money, definitely stay away. Yeah. Um, especially if they can't really tell you much about what they're doing with said money. But uh, <laughs> if they want big money for a membership or recurring things every month, then that's definitely a place to stay away from them. Uh, and just remember, this is your path, uh, not anybody else's. And, and uh, you know, just kind of choose carefully where you're going to go. And um, and uh, try to get to know some people in some of the places that you want to check out. See how they feel about things. And have a sense of humor. I mean, everything in magic needs a sense of humor. And you've got to be able to, to go out and pet the dog and... Go go have a beer and live a little bit too. Yeah. You know, this isn't uh, this isn't like um, this isn't like some kind of a monastic culture here. Right. I mean, if you're into that, you can uh, you know, like I'm I'm into yoga well, and being vegan are, lately, so I'm you know not as much with the. Yeah. But. Well, that's not necessarily monastic. I mean, if you want to live a cloistered life, there's a place for that. But most yeah. people coming out looking for this aren't aren't interested in doing that. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, there's been a few well, times I've had to barricade myself in my temple room for a couple of days, but I always come out and back into the world in the end. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's your right. As an individual, you can barricade yourself anywhere you want. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, well, anyway, I wish everybody well out there. And, um, I'm sure some people out there may even know me. And, oh, yeah, uh, I'm sure a lot of people tune in because they'll be like, and what? If so, I, uh, if so, I wish everybody a nice hello and... Um, and uh, Look forward to seeing some of you again one day. Um, but uh, the main most thing is um, get out there and enjoy your life. I uh, just want to say before you go that right now I'm holding in my hand a little rock that I painted the earth on, and it's on my northern altar, and it was handed to me by you in a ceremony in 1999 in Vancouver. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's it's the the most oriel thing that i that i have in my magical arsenal so i just stick it right here on my northern altar i wanted you to know that <laughs> well that's good and i'm sure uh, 
any contact with Oriel is a good thing. Actually working with any of the angels and archangels, everybody finds their favorite, and I think that's a lot to be learned there. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for uh, for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for, for joining us on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast, and I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. Oh, I hope you did, too. And, uh, you know, send me a link so I can listen to myself. <laughs> Will do. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Fratter, for joining us on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast today. In a few hours, I will be interviewing Michael Hickey for episode 31. Michael is a solo practitioner who put up a YouTube video kind of letting people know about the kinds of con artists and cult leaders out there who they uh, might want to avoid along the pathway by perhaps taking the path of the solo practitioner. And so I asked him if he wanted to be on the podcast because I really resonate with that message. And so we'll look forward to that. And in the meantime, I hope you all have a wonderful night, day, wherever you're at on the cycle of the earth going around and around. Have a good one always. And we'll talk to you soon. LDX. Namaste. Good night.